Episode 42 of the Fan Engagement Pod is a chat with Amanda Jacks. Since 2008, Amanda has been working to improve the treatment of match-going fans in England and Wales for the Football Supporters Federation, now Football Supporters Association. On a practical level, she works with supporters in trouble, assisting them through the complaints process and improving their access to justice. She also works with external stakeholders, including the police, to ensure a positive match day experience for all. It's a really important episode for anyone in a fan engagement role at a club or who works for a league or other rights holder, and particularly relevant given the FSA's recent response to the government's new policing bill. She's a sometimes fierce advocate of match-going fans and not scared to tackle controversial issues, but in my experience, she always seeks a constructive route wherever she can. Don't forget we've got loads of other episodes. Episode 4 of Baz Chat is now out with Baz Schneider and me. Listen via the usual channels, search Fan Engagement Pod. And if you're a club from the top four divisions of English men's football, don't forget we sent out data collected for the Fan Engagement Index 2019-2020 season for comment. The index will be published at the end of this month, that's April. And don't forget, Fan Insights will soon become Think Fan Engagement. Keep an ear out for more and join the Fan Engagement Network at faninsights.co.uk forward slash network forward slash join. This stuff is the future. We've done the usual thing that I do, man. We've had, we've had a good chin wag off, um, off mic, um, uh, and there, there's a couple of things I want to I want to come back to at the end anyway, because 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 as someone who's been going to football herself for years, has worked in worked as the caseworker for either the FSA, FSF Football Sports Federation or now the FSA, you've been Football Sports Association. You've been involved in some, well, you've been around football for, I'm not going to ask, it's impolite to ask for your age, Amanda, but you've been around it for a long time, right? And um, and so that's why I wanted you to be, that's why I wanted to get you on anyway, because I like to talk to interesting people. I'm not, <clears throat> I'm not someone who does podcasts to try to, um, to, to show um, how exciting my contact book is, because it's not half as exciting as some people might think it is. But you are... I want to talk to people who've got something interesting to say. And you're somebody who's got interesting to say. Now, I've known you for, you're going to have to just let me talk for a couple of minutes and then, then you can actually start speaking. Okay. <laughs> so I've I'm known... opening my mouth to respond and then closing it again. I'm sitting yeah. here. <laughs> ah. I've, well, we've known each other for probably sort of, I think probably since about, I, when I came back into working in English football in about 2011, I think around that sort of time I think I've probably known you since roughly roughly around then and I was working for Supporters Direct you worked for the FS um, the FSF Football Sports Federation can you just um yeah I mean I know what you do but it's quite useful because I'm not sure um either when it was at the FSF or now the FSA I'm not sure a lot of people really know what you really know that your function as it were exists and how actually how really important it is so give us a little bit of a rundown because i think clubs could do with hearing this as well and the people who gun run the game might not always appreciate who this amanda jacks um person is or that bloody woman as i'm sure some of them refer me well yeah you know old fashioned. <laughs> eh? i know yeah. i've been called worse 
So what do I do? Uh, I suppose the primary function of my role is to be the point of contact for any supporter of any club in England and Wales that either has reason to complain about policing or stewarding, that finds themselves under arrest, or more likely now asked in to have an interview with the police, that might find themselves banned by their clubs. So dependent on the scenario, um, I am there to talk people through their options or if necessary, refer them on to a suitable lawyer. Or as James McKenna, ex of Spirit of Shankly once said, I'm like everyone's mum at the match. A very Jay kind of thing to say, yeah. Very Jay kind of thing. I took it as a compliment, put it like that. Well, I mean, let's let's be honest, right? When it comes to, it wasn't an area, it was never an area that I had, uh, I, I worked in. I just wasn't part of what I did. Um, but a lot of people don't, and it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how, and I'll say it, how little the police... And this isn't everyone, but I see it on your timeline and I know it from conversation on your Twitter timeline. I know it from conversations we've had. Um, it never ceases to amaze me how little the police, clubs, um, governing bodies, uh, fans themselves, but particularly those first three, actually understand what the law and the regulations are and how much um, sort of legalese and criminal sorry <laughs> that's all right at least it makes the podcast sound authentic it is it's it's most definitely authentic i'm having a blind fitted dear listener so i'm sorry about the racket every so often yeah what i was what what, what fascinates me is is how police clubs um leagues particularly um you know, who all have very influential roles in how a match is 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 or isn't stewarded or policed, and, or you know, in terms of security, the whole package. How often I find from looking at your timeline, having spoken to you quite a lot in the past, etc., how often you hear um, of incidents where you know a sort of criminal legalese has been employed, or the inc actually quite often. I've seen literally the in, a, a complete misinterpretation or misuse in some cases of uh, of language that 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 suggests that the fan, for example, has committed a criminal offence or that they're subject to a particular law which they're not, and it's actually a ground regulation, whatever it is. Yeah, you, know, you you seem to be in a perpetual sort of process of trying to educate the people who should really know this um as well as obviously look your main duty from where i see it, is to get out there and get your hands dirty and and help people and that's the most vital thing but am i right or am i am i just uh is is, is am i getting that wrong because that's how it kind of comes across to me sometimes at least i think we are most definitely in a much 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 better place than we were ten five years ago in terms of policing for starters 
Um, I think anybody's Twitter feed, it's very easy, particularly when, like me, you tweet on quite emotive subjects. It's quite easy to see a string of tweets or, you know, tweets daily and think, oh, my God, this is the whole of football. Um, so I think it's important that whilst you absolutely have a point and there is a lot wrong, to have some perspective as well. But that isn't necessarily to say that I'm not, in a constant state of near frustration at a lot of the things I see and hear. Um, but, but going back to the policing, I think 10 years ago, public order policing at football matches was the norm. You know, you'd experience riot helmets and being filmed and dogs and horses and just general over policing, whether you're a home fan or away fan. So um, whilst we don't still have consistency around the country most certainly the larger forces now you know your metropolitan police your west midlands police your greater manchester police merseyside are much much better than they were and i've attended loads of matches at the invite of the police so i've been there at the start you know heard all the pre-match briefings you know be nice to people they're men women and children off to a, a football match many of them live here um, you know, you can't fault it. You can't fault, fault the ethos. But the police are like any big organisation. You've got the people at the top and then you've got the people on the actual ground. And I think there is still quite a lot of work to do for that friendly community style message that the cops all here to actually filter down to the ground. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, there's some really good cops out there who will smile at you and say good morning and good afternoon. But as I've always said, you know, football fans don't want a red carpet. We don't want to be called sir or madam. But it, I think it makes a tremendous difference to be treated as a human being, to be smiled at, to be greeted, you know, just to have the general chit chat time of day passed with you. Not least because if you're a home fan, these are your police officers and it's an oft heard phrase now isn't it you never ever see the police on the streets I was burgled the police didn't come out to me all of this and then you rock up on a Saturday at a football match and you're surrounded by cops most of whom don't even acknowledge you by saying hello all right good morning and I think the police are missing a massive PR trick in that regard, because it is literally one of the very, very few opportunities that a lot of people will ever see a police officer. True, I've not, I've not really thought about it in that sense, to be honest. Um, and and the, bit that, the bit that's also interesting is the stewarding issue, um, because that gets a lot of, um, of I, I hear a lot about that. And I mean, to my to my surprise, I remember when the Football League were doing the EFL, as they are now, were doing this Enjoy the Game initiative, where, they, where it seems as though what happens is, is they are stewards to just be stewards and treat the people coming in as though those people are welcome, which seems to me to be the very basic of being a steward. Yeah. But nonetheless, I remember being smiled at and every so often someone will go, all right, and I thought, Oh, that's nice. I, I, it actually feels like they want me here. Given the fact that I own my own club, they should want me there anyway. But that's not the point. Point is, the stewarding is often that sort of surly, um, you know. Well, you, you, you're not. I mean, oh, how, how long have you got on stewarding? I mean, the usual disclaimer: 
there are a lot of very decent stewards out there, many of whom have worked for their club for years and years and years. It's not an, a particularly appealing job. The pay isn't amazing. You know, you have to stand outside in the scorching sun or the pissing rain or the freezing wind. You know, who, who would be a steward? But all of that notwithstanding, um, I, I think clubs for many, many years relied on the police being in their football stadiums. But now it's very unusual to see the police inside a stadium. So I think quite short-sightedly in their reliance on the police, training of stewards, yes, all stewards have to be trained and pass a test. But, you know, the things I've heard about the training and everything, I will leave to your listeners' imagination, but I'm sure they can work it out for themselves. Um, typical of football as an industry short-sightedness so they didn't look ahead they didn't look ahead to the days when the police wouldn't be in their stadium so they didn't invest in stewards they didn't invest in their training they didn't invest in getting good caliber people in I mean an awful lot of clubs will outsource their stewards so if you're a big Premier League club you can go to the big reputable companies lower down the leagues you might not have that luxury. So you go to the local high street firm that is probably more used to supplying nightclub bouncers, pub doormen, and that sort of, shall we say, brawn over brain type person without making sweeping generalizations, but it is an industry that's known for that. But what frustrates me more than anything, Kev, is stewards are a football club's first of house front of house staff. They are the people wearing the club badge. They are the people that will create an impression of that football club. Even the larger football clubs who are global brands, not all of them seem to grasp this. And again, you know, going back to what I said earlier, football clubs not wanting the red carpet out, but some of our larger clubs are just as famous as the Savoy or the Ritz, you know, those really high class venues. Imagine going to one of those venues and being treated how you are at football. You wouldn't go back. You would say that that person, how that person treated me is indicative of how this five-star business thinks of me. Football is every bit a five-star business. And, you know, just as you said, all right, mate, smile, friendly word to the kids. That's all it takes to make you feel welcome and appreciated. But most of all, like a paying customer which like it or not and I know there's a big ongoing debate that's gone on for years and years and years we're football fans not customers we're customers because we are Uh, paying for something I will will relieve some pressure on that we are part customer it's what it's the only thing is 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 we know which is why we keep turning up to place venues that should be don't seem to want us is because we know that we don't make rational choices in quite the way that a normal customer does. But no, I mean, Baz Schneider, the guy, uh, quite well-known consultant in this, in the field of fan engagement and sort of relations and stuff like that. Um, you know, he talks about, there's a concept of super customer. I talk about um, part stakeholder, part, part customer. Um, you know, the, the idea that you're not, it's, it, there's a transactional relationship there, but it is that sort of disappointment when it's something that important you know, your club, your club, even if you don't literally own it or a piece of it, it is your club. And it doesn't, you don't, you're not there because I don't need to tell you this. I'm t- I suppose I'm talking to the audience, you know, that you're there, you're there for, for a reason other than simply, 
you want to watch a winning club. Most people are not there to just simply watch a winning team, in inverted commas. Some people might do that, but they'll drift off and go and see someone else when they get bored. So that, no, that stuff really matters. I knew that. And, and it matters as well, Kev, from a safety point of view, because one, particularly with away fans, you know, the, the stewards are to a greater or lesser extent responsible into playing into the whole match day dynamic and the crowd dynamic. So if as an away fan, you turn up and you're treated like shit, you're rudely spoken to, you're searched roughly, that's it. You are not going to cooperate with any of those stewards. You're not going to respect them. You're not going to do what you're asked. If there's, God forbid, an emergency, your confidence in those stewards is zero because you've had such a poor interaction with them. So it's all these things that play into why stewarding should be really good and for home fans as well i remember at west ham at the berlin in the good old days you know the, the stewards had clearly been there for years and years and years they knew all the fans and the fans knew them on the very rare occasions that stewards had to intervene within the crowd because there was that relationship there yeah i'm not talking about a relationship you know where you get invited to weddings and exchange phone numbers but just that unspoken relationship of mutual trust and respect the stewards could just deal with it really easily because that relationship was there that the fans would respond to and you know a lot of the stewards every christmas might get given a bottle of scotch or whatever by the fans to say thanks for looking after us all that went when the club moved and you know i don't, I don't want to rake over old history but we i think most people listening will be aware of the problems at the London Stadium and the trouble and everything else. We saw more trouble at the London Stadium in a month than probably in five years at the Berlin. And of course, yes, a lot of individuals have to take responsibility for their own, own behaviour. And I'm absolutely not saying it's the fault of the stewards, but that dynamic was there. You, Amanda, the key, the key to all of this, and it was the same in my conversations with Owen and Cliff, um, uh, Cliff Stottnow in West, uh, the same with um, with anyone who talks about this area, is um, is that yeah you you can all talk about individual responsibility and you have to in the end an individual does in mo most cases do something or doesn't do something but if you create an environment I've worked in schools. Um, and I've worked in children's homes and places like if you create an environment which is unsafe and people feel unsafe, then their decisions are affected directly by it. So I don't care personally to get into a political discussion with anyone who doesn't understand that. If, if they want to tell me that it's absolutely down to individual choice, then they don't understand group dynamics and they've got no business commenting on it, in my view, as an authority. Certainly, they can have an opinion, but it, it doesn't really mean very much or a whole much water. That's all key. It, the bit that you've touched on there, you know, and it was a personal thing for you, and this isn't about, we're not all going to pile in on West Ham. It was about the breaking of bonds and about bonds um, and about how um, those bonds are, are built over so many years. And I don't just mean if you've been going for 20 years, then you're bonded. It's, it's the fan as a group. And because, you know, you know, Fan culture is something that exists in the group and the group is people, but the group is much more than that. It is the concept of a fan at that club, isn't it? And how, how much 
all these decisions, I mean, police less so because especially with police mostly being outside of the stadium, they're not really in it and being affected so much internally, but there are things, dynamics there. But with stewarding and with, a, with, with the general sort of environment, you know, this is a huge amount about how the people running a football club and owning it and, you know, the people working in those, particularly in senior positions, because they're really the ones who set that culture. You know, a lot of this does come down to what that bond is understood to be by those people in in the offices doing the work and how those fans feel that that club wants to or doesn't want to bond with them doesn't it and it's not again it's not it's that thing like you said it's not you don't literally need a red carpet you don't need to be called sir and madam it's nice to be called sir and madam every so often or so in my case but you know it's not about that if there's a general if you feel safe and you feel like you're wanted somewhere then you're more likely to do to be reasonable when you're asked to do something that perhaps is a bit out of the ordinary, like peg out, get get out the stadium really quickly, or not get on the pitch at the end of the season or whatever. So a lot of it is about these things are not well. You you know this isn't about security and about policing and about hooliganism and about crowd control. This is a complex sort of negotiation of sort of um, bonds and culture, isn't it? It's big. You know, it's why we don't just like our, I don't like Wimbledon. I, I don't even, I can't even say that it's, it's simply love. It's something so deep. I can't even remember what it is anymore. It's so bound into me. And that, that's what, what you're dealing with, isn't it? When you're dealing with the fact that the sort of outcomes that you deal with are in, in a lot of cases, a breakdown of those bonds. Hi, I just want to take a quick moment to tell you about Match Day Digital, the world's first football-first digital magazine platform bringing together premium paid content from clubs, Match Day programmes, popular football magazines, newspapers and high-quality fan-produced fanzines. It's quite the list. Uh, Match Day Digital brings football content and supporters together in a single app which allows clubs and other publishers to deliver their content to a much wider audience than they would through their own print or digital sites and apps all especially relevant obviously during this covid era you can download the app on google play and apple store go to matchdaydigital.co.uk for more and if you're a club drop the fellas over there a line they're really friendly and i'm sure they'd love a chat with you about your needs yeah absolutely i mean my, my mantra is touching what i said previously I genuinely, genuinely believe that people need to take responsibility for their own actions, but that comes with a massive disclaimer. How they've been treated, how the crowd management has borne out, absolutely will impact on an individual's behaviour. So if, for example, you're behaving like a bit of a dickhead and a steward comes steaming down the stairs shoves your arm up your back, sticks his arm, his other arm around your neck and drags you out because you've been a dickhead, it's going to kick off and everyone else is going to get involved. If you send a steward down, excuse me, mate, sorry, look, I don't mean to spoil your day, but my boss has just been in my ear, noticed your behaviour, would you mind just turning it down a bit, blah, 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 I don't want to chuck you out. What's the better response? What, what's going to have the better outcome? You know, you don't, you don't have to be a crowd psychologist to know, do you? You just have to be someone with a mediocre of common sense or you've been at a football match and you will have seen 
I, I almost guarantee that every single one of your listeners will have witnessed poor stewarding. And in an industry like football, that's not good enough. And I, I think there's a mindset as well that, you know, for all the talk about we're customers, we're valued, we're this, we're that. At the heart of that, there's this sort of underlying feeling that we're not with potential public order problems, yeah. particularly away fans. You know, we can't be nice to them. We can't be lenient. We can't be friendly because if we do, they'll, you know, give them an inch, take a mile. We've got to show them who's boss, blah, 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 show of force. I mean, I, how I, I've seen some away fans treated, just beggars belief. And, and the interesting thing, of course, is that, you know, my conversation with Owen and Cliff was from the moment Owen started doing things in the way that, you know, they now try to get everyone to behave when it comes to policing and, stewarding and the attitudes towards fans and particularly the away fan stuff is the evidence is there you don't you you can't argue against the evidence the evidence is if you treat people like the way that away fans were were particularly were traditionally treated and, and in some cases still are now obviously but were being just routinely treated then you're going to get a problem at the end of it and you're going to get you know all sorts of problems that you didn't expect what Cliff told me, uh, Owen told me of the story, um, I think it was Cliff who saw Owen doing this, or Owen was doing it and Cliff had heard about it, it was the reason basically that, that these Cardiff City fans were kicking off, being just shoved into a coach, was because of the valleys, because if you get off in one valley, it's not a straightforward process of just walking across to the next valley to get home, you have to go out, it's just, you know, anyone who's gone gone through South Wales and driven through the middle of well it's really hard to do it you can't even get a train through it and um that basic understanding of people is is what it, every time I speak to someone who whichever bit of this area they work in um this is what comes back all the time so tell me something what is when, when it comes to say some of these very practical things that exist in in the fan engagement sphere when it comes to the things that fans do, uh, clubs do to listen to their fans or hopefully to listen to their fans and find out what it is that's motivating them, what they need, what they want, you know, getting perhaps getting, you know, some feedback on something or whatever it is or getting to shape an idea. Um, how often do things like, say, a fans parliament, right? So say like the, the, the fans parliament, a, a club, you know, the kind of thing you've got at Stoke or, you know, Lincoln have it, loads of them have it. Um, we call fan insights things called a fans parliament which is a good term um, where you where you're talking to representatives from different bits of the stand you've probably got a supporters trust in there maybe you've got um, you've got lots of other independent fan organizations there because you want to hear what they're you know what they're thinking about this stuff how how much do those get used to shape the approach that a club has or is it a bit of a sort of wall is is does you know do they do they get do you know of cases or incidents or um, clubs where where they actively try to shape their approach to stewarding and policing and things like that through those environments or through other relationships, or is it is it still seen as very operational and 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 actually those fans parliament things tend to not be talking about those issues? Oh, this is where I've got to be as diplomatic as I possibly can be. And I probably will end up upsetting somebody by saying this. Again, disclaimer, there's some really good safety officers out there and there are 
some examples of really good practice, like Brighton off the top of my head go out of their way to look after away fans. Brilliant, good for them, blah, blah, blah. The sad thing is, Kev, it's 2021 and we're still talking about those clubs as being the exception rather than it being commonplace. My potentially controversial view is that a lot of safety officers are ex-police officers who have been out of the job for quite some time, who were very likely policing football when it wasn't when it was a nasty thing on to do on a Saturday afternoon. In I've seen a lot of safety officers, they're, they're not questioned, you know, that they're in their little kingdom, they're an ex-chief superintendent, they're a safety officer. And yeah, they absolutely got an incredibly responsible job because ultimately they are responsible for the safety of tens of thousands of people. So I think when you've got the, say, the more, shall we say, old school mentality when it comes to safety and security, they're not seeing beyond safety and security. And then, then, and, and then I'll say it, so you don't need to. I don't think it's controversial anyway. Then, of course, it takes... You know, it would take a, let's say, if, if you've got an operations director or whether it's all vested in, largely vested in your chief executive, the football club, then it's up to them and their ability or their their confidence to challenge sometimes because we all need that as an employee. Any, any employee needs to be challenged sometimes. It's down to the internal culture, the individuals in those particular roles. And I can think of off the top of my head immediately, oh, look, you mentioned Brighton. I can't imagine that um, Tony Bloom as the owner and someone like Paul Barber would particularly want to have a reputation, not that they're thinking it in reputation terms, they're thinking about it as, you know, how you treat fans, but I can't imagine they'd want the kind of stain on their reputation that fans turn up and get treated, you know, a la 1980s at, at, the, at the old Gold, Goldstone ground, for example. Um, but, again, those people are not, and I, well, you know, we can say it's not a problem. Those people are not common um, enough, rather. They're not common enough. And I think as well that maybe I'm, you know, I'm always, I'm one of these people, and I think, I think you'll probably agree with me. I'd be interested to see if you do. I think you will. The, the sort of, the availability of, of knowledge on it, the, the time people do and don't have to think about this stuff kind of means that if you've got someone who is the security, the uh, safety officer, well, good, we'll leave safety to them then. Mm. Um, much less likely. And if you get some problems along the way, being proactive in that area is, area is difficult, isn't it? You've got an old, you know, someone who knows this field really well. It's not very easy to not sound like you're... Um, you're undermining their authority or their expertise but so so actually there is a bit of a wall then when it comes to whether or not whether or not you can shape as a using something like a fans parliament or you know maybe a relationship with a sports trust or what have you or even fans forms you actually be able to shape the attitude of and the approach of a club to their fans and to away fans to all fans 
it's quite difficult to do. It's quite a. a, a it, 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 I'm not going to disagree with you. It, it is difficult. And we all, I think, have this notion that there's hundreds of staff at every single football club and resources are endless. But equally, we both know the reality is very different. However, having said that, you know, it, it's not difficult. It doesn't require a lot of imagination. So, for example, I've been fortunate enough to be a corporate guest at a handful of football clubs. And as a corporate guest, it goes back to what I was saying earlier, you know, it's literally the five star treatment. And it's amazing, can't fault it for a second. I've been to those same clubs as an away fan and had an experience at completely the opposite end of the spectrum. Why can't those in charge of corporate hospitality be involved in the training of match day stewards? So the fan gets a watered down version of that corporate experience and also that, that there seems to be this mindset of quantity over quality which again sort of goes back to the training I think it would be much better to have fewer very highly trained stewards than a lot of semi or just about adequately trained stewards it was interesting there was um, an article in the times yesterday about Brentford who had employed as a match day steward someone with a football banning order very unfortunate state of affairs but you know what if, if you ask every single safety officer could they hand on heart vouch for the character and the training of every single match day steward on duty on in their club on a match day i very much doubt that they would be able to in good consciousness because they're outsourcing so they rely on their contractor and even the best contractors you know I, i've done this in a very different environment but i've been contracted to supply six gardeners say for a property i used to manage one day two were off sick i knew if i didn't fulfill that quota i'd be in the trouble so it was a question of i don't care who you get in as long as they can push a wheelbarrow i want them in you think that's not happening in football? No, it's exactly. Look, and I think what's really, really, really important, and I make this point all the time, so I'm, I don't feel guilty for, for, for criticising where I think criticism is merited. But we all do have to definitely remember that, um, that most football clubs are not blessed with enormous amounts of resources. And we can debate all day how much more of that money that comes in shouldn't be going into player wages for example transfers and should be diverted investment in other areas but either way most clubs don't have lots of money to play with but there is definitely you know if if some clubs can do it if it's not beyond the ability of the institution and the people in it to do it then it isn't a problem for any other institution to do it it's a matter of leadership from the top it's a matter of whether you listen to people um you know whether you're prepared to be challenged how how much autonomy particular members of staff have, you know, and autonomy is important, but sometimes autonomy can lead to people making decisions that are maybe not the right ones because they're not being challenged. So, so you know, that's, it's, that's been the interesting thing about talking to is actually we've not really talked about, you know, the individual stuff, which is interesting, you know, talking to Christine Green, for example, from Grimsby, it's fascinating to chat to her and she's, She's got, I know you, I'm pretty sure you know Christine. Oh yeah, very well. She's brilliant. Yeah, the SL, one of the SLOs at Grimsby. But actually just taking a step back and looking at some of that 
sort of cultural stuff as I bore, you know, I probably bore the pants off some people talking about it, but it's so, so relevant and so important. I look, I mean, I, we could go, I think it'd be interesting to do another one of these another time with you looking at some of the more sort of detailed up close and personal stuff and talking, talking through some of the cases you've had to deal with. But one thing I wanted to, I wanted to kind of bring us back to, to what we were chatting about before, um, before I pressed record and then had to stop pressing record because we had a drill going on in the background in my house. Um, everything's fine. It was just getting something fitted. Um, the, the bit that we were sort of chatting about, and it was a bit of a personal sort of view of things. We were talking of just for someone like you, who's been so involved in football for so long um, and not just as a, as a, a match going fan, but as someone who's able I think probably in any given moment to certainly take the temperature of of of, of match going fans and a sort of passionate um, sort of act, uh, in some cases sort of activist types. When we were talking about whether this horrible pandemic that we've been suffering for so long now it's nearly a year, whether it's going to change um, the demographics of football or the habits, and we were what a bit we were talking about was whether or not. Um, you know, people will stop going, or whether they'll reduce. What that the bit that was interesting was was that I that more and more than than people stopping going was kind of people refining their habits a little bit. Just what do you reckon then? Do you, do, you know, I mean, people are are going to be struggling, you know, financially when we can actually go back. God knows, hopefully this year. But do you get a sense that from from anecdotally? That there are people, and you were talking about this, that there are people who are going to probably sort of reduce their spend a bit and aren't going to be as quite as keyed into it as they were. And, and maybe their friendship groups have changed because we've lost touch with people, haven't we? Has made new friendships online. We're, we're losing touch with people. All of those things, Kev, that you've said, um, you know, as, as you say, it's, it's far from scientific. It's absolutely anecdotal but virtually every single person I speak to without fail is saying, actually, I am missing it, but not as much as I thought. And it's fantastic to have five, six hundred pounds in my bank account at the end of every month that I would have spent on football. Don't even get me started on the missus finding out about that. You know, seeing my kids more. Um, there's a lot of match day friends that I've got yes of course I'm missing them but I know that they're not going back for various reasons it won't be the same without them so I, I think football clubs really need to be alive to this and not taking it for granted that they are going to get all those bums back on seats that they had pre-pandemic I, I, I can't you know the, the scale of the change remains to be seen but I can't possibly see that there won't be a change to some extent whether it changes the demographic of the match going fan I don't know but I I would be amazed if football slots back into place even six months after life returns to whatever normal we're going to have 